chapter 5. Our text, as is in the bulletin, will be the verses 2 through 4, the unsung faith of a little maid. We'll begin to read, we will read the verses 1 through 19. This is during the ministry of children. This is during the ministry of Elisha, the miracle-working prophet, the prophet of God's compassion through Jesus Christ. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed, that is Naaman, and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have here therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a message unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Paphar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much more rather than when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. 
And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given unto thy servant two mules' burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Remen to worship there, and, I, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Remen, when I bow down myself in the house of Remen, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. May God bless the reading of his word this morning to our hearts. We read verses 2 through 4 once again. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. This past summer, I preached a series of sermons under the general theme, the unsung heroes of faith, pointing out not the heroes of faith that we know so well in Hebrews chapter 11, whom the Apostle Paul says are as a great cloud of witnessing, witnesses urging us on in the Christian race to run on faithful to God, but pointing out those many in the scriptures who are unnoticed, unknown, perhaps unremembered by us, and here unnamed, unsung, who nevertheless, whose faith we must surely follow. The daughters of Zelophehad, Epaphras, Onesiphorus, Shipra, Pua, and this little unknown girl. And in this series, we continually pointed out two lessons about a true and saving faith that we learn from those who are unnoticed in the Bible who nevertheless stood by a true and living faith in God. And those two things are that faith does not wait for a big moment. True faith does not say, well, when I get married, or when I get a little older, 25 for sure, or when a gun is pointed to my head, then I will confess him. But true faith lives moment by moment, aware of the providence of God, in utter dependence upon God, moment by moment, ready to confess his name. True faith lives even when you are unnoticed by men and alone, and no one sees what you suffer. 
There is no audience to witness it. True faith must still live in our hearts. And the second thing that we learned is that faith does not seek to draw attention unto itself or its deeds, but faith is always drawing attention to God and to His deeds of grace. True faith does not ask the question at the end of the day, did they see what I did? Has anybody noticed what I am doing for the Lord or for others? Do others see? But true faith asks simply, did I bring attention to God? Did I bring attention to His grace? Did others see and hear from me today what God has done for my soul? This morning we're going to look at this little maid. She's a slave girl. That's what a maid is in this context. She is living under the darkest of God's providence. God's hand is over the whole passage. His providence controls everything that we read. And even though she is under the darkest of providences, her faith shines so brightly. And her witness, so simple, so direct, is used of God to move kings and kingdoms and is part of God's providence of grace to save a man called Naaman. Her faith gave glory to God. She teaches us that the weakest of means faithfully, faithfully used, performs God's will. She teaches us that God is sovereign and will accomplish his own purpose, purposes of grace through us. I call your attention to the unsung faith of a little maid, her witness, the rippling effects of that witness, and finally three lessons that she teaches us. What jumps out of the scripture that we read this morning is the contrast that the Holy Spirit plays between the mighty and the weak, between a commander and the little captive. What jumps out in this scripture is that God's will and providence are controlling all things and that God has sent a very heavy providence upon a little girl kidnapped away from her own family, subject to extreme cruelty, and yet God is working this for the salvation of the very man who was responsible for this. We read of a little maid of the land of Israel carried away captive and who waited on Naaman's wife. That word little maid probably refers to her age as being somewhere between 7 to 10 to 11. She is obviously not a toddler, two or three, for she can perform functions in a house. But she is plainly also not entering young womanhood or the Syrians would have done something worse to her. At that age, tragedy had come into this little girl's life under the providence of God. She had not come to Naaman's house to serve on Naaman's wife by her choice or by the permission of her parents. 
She had been raised, we see, in Israel, in a village of Israel, and she had been raised under the covenant promises of God. We can deduce that clearly from the text, that her parents were some of those of the 7,000 in the days of Elijah who had not bowed their knee to Baal nor kissed him. She was in that little believing house in some small village, and she's growing up now under the ministry of Elisha the prophet. Elisha, whose ministry was authenticated by his miracles. Elisha, who is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry. Elisha, who was the prophet of compassion upon the weaknesses, upon the needs of God's people, who raised the Shunammite woman's son who broke ten loaves of bread and ten ears of corn to feed a multitude. The mercies, she grew up under the ministry of the mercies that are found in God and in Jesus Christ. And growing up under that ministry, she had been subjected to a cruelty, a wickedness, done to her that altered her entire life and put her faith to the test. A band, a company of soldiers under the direction of the commander, ultimately Naaman, had exercised his orders and a company had raided through the land of Israel and in that raid had taken her away to be a captive. Was it that she was outside of her house, perhaps playing, or a little further away, picking berries, and the soldiers saw her and snatched her, and her parents waited for her to return, and she did not return, and they did not know they could only suspicion what had come to her, and they had no power to find her. Or was it even worse? Was it that these raiders from Syria, she, saw, she learned of them when they were riding through her village and torching, throwing torches through the front door of her home, had her father and perhaps her older brothers died in her defense? What had she seen happen to her mother? We don't know. No angels were sent from God to give her physical deliverance. And she has been brought to Naaman's wife to be her slave girl, her little maid. And she is standing in a great house to serve a woman of high standing, the wife of Naaman. She did not speak their language. She had perhaps a little place where she slept and cried out to her God, what could she do? What hope would she have? She believed in God, the imperishable life of Christ had been implanted into her heart as a little girl. Her words, would God, would to God, may it be that God would be pleased according to his will. Would God, my Lord Naaman, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. She is confessing there her belief in God. She is confessing 
the sovereignty of God, which is the theme of the whole passage. In her heart, she had been taught and knew personally, living deep in her own little heart, she believed the sovereignty of God, that there was nothing that could take her out of the hands of her God, and there was nothing that her God in Christ could not do for her. She believed that. How did she come to believe that? Had her father told her about Joseph and what had been done to Joseph and Joseph's faith? Had her mother read to her the story of Job, the earliest of all biblical books? Had the family that summer, just before her captivity, memorized Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the heathen. We don't know those things. We don't know the specifics. We know that she believed in God. We know that she was brought up in a believing household, that the means of grace had come to her in her early childhood. We know that God was working in her both to will and to do of his good pleasure. She knew God as her Father in heaven. And what we must see here is that that faith divinely implanted in her and implanted in her through means. It didn't come through the wind. It had to come through means, most likely the means of her covenant family. What we must see is that her faith showed itself before she spoke, which was part of the fact used of God that they listened so readily to her. We read, she waited on Naaman's wife. And the text is showing to us that the sovereign, the knowledge of her God as her God was upon her little heart as she was in that home. And in that home, because she believed she was God's daughter, she honored God by honoring those whom God had placed over her, be it in cruelty, she understood in her own way the fifth commandment, as the catechism explains it to us, that we are to be in subject to all whom God is pleased to rule over us. She refers to her as her mistress, and she refers to Naaman as my Lord. She understood practically the things of faith. They were written on the table of her heart. She showed her faith in her attitude toward the authority over her and her reliance, her freedom to serve God by submitting in that home. Did she think of Joseph, who was faithful in the house of Potiphar? Of Joseph, who was faithful to the jailer, unjustly kept in prison for years and kept in chains? She submitted to Naaman's wife's command she was her mistress. She is fulfilling already what the Apostle Paul writes clearly to us in Colossians 3. She served not with eye service as a men pleaser. She was not a beaten dog. She did not do everything with a stiff chin. But she served her God where she was. This was her comfort. We imagine it according to the flesh. When she looked upon Naaman's wife, how could she have anything but disdain for this woman? 
but she feared God. God holds me. And this was noticed. It could not be unnoticed. And this family in Syria, which had no ground of hope, her faith showed in her trust in God. And her faith spoke. Her faith witnessed. And now I believe, beloved, that the Holy Spirit, the Scripture wants us to exercise in a sanctified imagination and witness as best we can exactly what is taking place in Naaman's house. She is with her mistress, plainly from the text. She's with the mistress. Also, we learn from verse 4 and following that there are others who are in that house as well who are going to hear the testimony. For one is going to immediately go and say thus and thus as an eye as a hearing witness of what had been said, an eyewitness. So we gather that Naaman's wife, and she is busy as a maid, perhaps dusting, perhaps cleaning out the fireplace, whatever it was. She's present, but unseen by everybody. And everybody there is discussing the subject which was on everybody's mind in Syria. Naaman is a leper. Our hero, this dynamic man, is a leper. They're discussing despair and hopelessness and death and dread and all that was awful. They were bemoaning. Their idols had come up empty. Their religion simply was not made for this. Their religion was not face, could not face reality of sin and death and, a per, and then that they were perishing and they were rotting away in a perishing world. They had nothing to bring against that. And God had placed in their midst not a prophet, not an Elijah with his finger, but had placed a little maid with an amazing gift of true faith and on hearing their conversation and seeing the anguish she says would to God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria for he would recover him of his leprosy her faith was first spontaneous we are to understand that this probably came out of her mouth before she had any time really to consider what she was saying. It was simply the meditations of her heart. Her place was to be seen and not heard. Spontaneous because she had been thinking about all that consumes them and she knew of a hope that she had in her God. Her witness was not premeditated. She was not looking for the moment. The moment came to her and came because she was abiding in her heart with God. Out of the abundance of her heart, her mouth spoke. Her witness, her faith was secondly factual or truth. She witnessed to truth, God's truth. There is a prophet of Jehovah in Israel, 
who, could, who would recover him. Literally, she says, who is able to draw him in, is what she said. She is not saying, she is bringing positively an absolute statement, a declaration of truth, of unchanging truth in this world. She's not saying, well, supposedly, uh, I heard as a little girl that there was this miracle worker in Israel uh, named, by the name of Elisha. You might want to check that out. I, I appreciate your expressions of religion and faith and where you put your trust. She brought something factual, true. I do not believe the myths of man or the hopes of men, but by a pure grace, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. Her faith was spontaneous. It was true. It was a witness to truth. It was factual. It was confident and courageous. He would. According to he would, if it pleased God, he would gather him in from his leprosy. It was very confident. It posited before others an abiding truth. It said, leprosy is not too much for our God. The problem you face, the defilement, the addiction, the corruption of your nature is not too much for the word and the power of God's grace. God is able to bring Naaman in. It was a confident witness. And finally, it was sincere. Her faith was spontaneous, factual, confident, and sincere. Would to God. God must do this. Him to him is all power and there is none else. It must be his will to work in Naaman. May my God, according to his own grace, so will this. But it was an expression of concern. It was an expression of kindness. It was the fulfillment already of the master's words. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. She's speaking to this woman, the wife of Naaman. She has a concern in her heart. She has a concern for her. May it please God, according to his own sovereign grace, the God who is God, the God who I have been given to know and upon whom I trust. May it be that God would work his good work through the prophet in him. She didn't say it through gritted teeth. She didn't sneer. She said it out of kindness. Is this your faith and my faith? Instantaneously, factually, confidently, sincerely, to testify of our God. Because even under the darkest of days, 
we have known him as true and faithful and are given a saving knowledge of salvation in Christ alone. Where did this faith come from? Where does such a faith come from? Well, we see from God, of course, yes. But we confess from Scripture and all the Reformation, the means that God uses through the Holy Spirit to implant such faith. She grew up in Israel among the 7,000 who were standing in the midst of an apostate church world and confessing Jehovah, he is God alone. She grew up in a family or community where these things were being taught to her in earliest childhood. She's not the product of some super advanced class for little children. She's growing up in your home. She has been brought under the ministry of a prophet called Elisha. She has heard these things. She has been born of imperishable life in Christ, and she speaks. There are rippling effects that take place, a chain of effects. And again, beloved, we need to use a sanctified imagination as we read the text, for she spoke to her mistress, and as I pointed out, there were others who were present, and as she spoke, as they're all seeking to comfort her or bemoaning the situation, as she speaks, suddenly, everybody's quiet. What did you say? What, what did you say? They all heard the Word of God because it is the testimony to the Word of God. The Word of God is arresting. Even those hardened in unbelief, they suppress the truth. Apart from the grace of God, our natures put away God's truth. We find God's truth offensive. But God's Word is heard. And God's Word convicts. And they all act on it. God's Word, faithfully spoken, produces such an effect. It was an immediate effect. One left and went and told the king. Having told the king, the king summons Naaman. He says, bring this letter to the king of Israel with these gifts. Why? Why are we doing it? Thus and thus, verse 4, thus, why are you doing this? Thus and thus said the maid, said the maid that is of the land of Israel, as if someone walks into the Oval Office and the, the president has decided a, a great act to do. Why are you doing this? Because the little maid said, the power is the word of God. The word of God does not fall to the ground without its effect. Never. And the interesting thing that we must note this morning is that while... The consciousness even of an unbelieving man must reckon with the reality of God's truth. 
not just the interesting thing to note, but the terrible thing to note, is that in that rippling chain of effect, there's one person who doesn't buy it. And he's the one person who, because of his background, ought to have bought it, bought into it immediately. The king of Israel, he is an apostate. He has grown up among the truth and among the people of God, but he was too wise for it. He set his, he set his trust outside. These absolutes that I have been taught about Jehovah God, they're not sufficient. I will express my spirituality in other ways. He is an apostate, and he's a cynic. That's worse. He's a cynic to the word of God. Now, what is the point of this, this rippling effect? What, what is going on here? Well, the, the scriptures are teaching us. The scriptures are teaching us that our witness of faith, the witness that we bring, is always, number one, to the power of the word of God. To the power of the word of God. The maid said, there is a prophet that is in Samaria. And Elisha said to the king, they are going to know that there is a prophet in Israel. A prophet is one through whom the word of God in the Old Testament was delivered to the trust of God's people. And therefore, her testimony is a testimony to the word of God. The testimony of the church is a testimony always to the Word of God, to the power of God's Word, which will accomplish the purpose to which God sends His Word. We must remember in our day where there is no absolutes and there's ridicule of anybody who says that there's an absolute truth for all ages. We must remember that the Word of God is not a word on this earth among many other words. It is not a slant on life. It is not a view that people should consider. It is not that. It is the Word of God. Is not my word like a hammer that breaketh in pieces the rock? God's Word cannot be repressed. God's Word cannot be silenced to the irritation, to the hatred of the world, and to the salvation of the church. It does not fall to the ground. Number two, her witness was to the ministry of the Word of God. There is a prophet in Israel. A prophet holds an office, an office to teach, proclaim the Word of God. The Word of God has been given to the church for the church to proclaim and to proclaim through her members for sure, but to proclaim to her members and to all of us through this office called the servant of the Lord, pastors and teachers, with elders and deacons overseeing them. Through their ministry comes the word of salvation, of hope, and of deliverance. Our witness is to the means of grace. Our witness is to the ordinary means of grace. Our witness is not, come, we've got this gymnasium. Our witness is to the power of the Word of God through the ordinary means of grace. That this means of grace will stand. 
and do the impossible as we are being consumed in the leprosy of our sin. And number three, her witness was to the word, to the ministry of the word or the means of grace. Her witness was to the gospel, to cleansing, to cleansing from sin, to what is able to make a person whole again, to Naaman, a self-made man, debonair, dashing, brave, a leader, if ever was a leader, and he was a leper. To man in his best estate, to us in our most glorious accomplishments, to man in his pinnacle of pride, comes the gospel. We are lepers, corrupt and fallen. There is none who can save, save one. And this salvation is sola Christos. This salvation is in the blood of the Lamb of God. Our witness is to the word, to the means of grace, and to the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, brought by God's providence to the soul in whom he will work. That's our witness. Who gave this witness? A professor, a minister of the word? No. A little maid spoke what was in her heart. The lessons then for us this morning, very briefly, are that we must rest as parents and little children. We must rest in faith under the dark providences that God sends us. What became of this little girl? Did Naaman, perhaps after this, release her and send her back? Was there a day outside that village where she was brought up in Israel where a detachment of soldiers of Syria rode up and she slid off the back of one of the horses and she ran into the arms of her father and mother? Or if her parents had been killed, was she restored to her people? Or did she stay in Syria? And did she face more trial and more loneliness? We don't know. We're going to want to ask her and ask her for her name in heaven. But we do know this. That God led her and God leads you, little girl, leads you, little boy, leads you, parent, leads you, young person, God leads you in his hand in a perfect way, performing his own wonders in your life. Rest, rest in the sovereignty of God. Do not become embittered against him. Hope to the end for the salvation of the Lord, for he is merciful and tender of heart. Number two, learn the importance of your witness. Don't be silent. Don't argue. Don't believe that you need to win the point. Don't believe that you have to spell out the whole gospel at once. 
Don't open your mouth if you and I are not living in submission to authority over us. They will not hear what we have to say. Don't be ashamed. Speak. Speak most assuredly, most confidently, most sincerely. Tell what you know in your soul. And then remember, it is not you that speak. It is the Spirit of God within you. And then finally, the lesson is this, that God directs our lives and that God directs his life for his purpose, which is not only or just about me, myself. He has purposes in my life, in your life, that are bigger than us. His purposes and his providence in your life are for the spread of his truth and for the witness that is to be left through these circumstances. Many in our society are not going to read the Bible. They do need to come to the Word of God if God is to bring them to salvation, but they're not going to read their Bible, but they will read what is in us. God willing, that will bring them to the Scriptures. God will direct our lives in our trials and troubles and struggles, even as it seems good unto him, for one great purpose, the glory of his name and the salvation of his church. That's what's going on in your life this morning. Your life matters. Your faith matters. And you must be assured of his grace, presence, and strength in the darkest of days that we leave a witness of him that God for sure will do with as seemeth good to him. Amen. Lord, we bow in thanks. Thanks for the heritage of the truth not unto us, but unto thee. We thank thee for scripture. We thank thee for faith. We thank thee for Christ alone. We thank thee for all of these truths. May we teach them zealously, warmly to our children. May we live in them confidently. Forgive, O Lord, all of our sins and the sins committed even in this hour. Yet, May thy name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.